I'm David Cross, and you may know me from my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, a family-owned and operated investment advisory practice. I'm a certified portfolio manager, and my job is to help you make better decisions with your money. One of the things we try to avoid is investing in companies that push the woke agenda. If you're invested with one of the big firms out there, there's a pretty good chance that you're feeding the beast that hates your values. Our company is 100% conservative, and we'd love to have an opportunity to work with you. Check us out at us-am.com and look for our big, proud American Eagle logo. Hi, everybody. I'm Christine Dolan, and this is our Globalist in Plain Sight show. And today we're honored to have um, Bob Schwartz from Atlanta with us and Dr. Mark uh, Phil, Phil. I'm messing up your last name, Mark, and I profusely apologize. Feinsilber. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. So, so welcome to the show, guys. I'm glad we're doing this. And, and there's a little bit of uh, technical problems in this, but, you know, just everybody bear with us because this is going to be a really good conversation. All right, so, <clears throat> pardon me, Dr. Mark, let's start with you. You you met um, Bob about over 10 years ago. That's like right. 15, 15 years ago, um, and Mark, Bob, you had a you had a prescription that changed your life because you had you had a breakdown because of you were over prescribed a drug. But Mark, let's let's start with you. By the time Bob met you, and you're a clinical psychologist for over, uh, is it psychiatrist or psychologist? Clinical psychologist. Psychologist, okay. So you, you met Mark, uh, Bob, when Mark, Mark, you met Bob when um, Bob was in a pretty bad state. Explain explain to what happened from a clinical point of view uh, to Bob when he had this prescription. Okay, so when I met Bob, which would have been around 2004, 2005, he got referred to me, uh, I believe, by a, a medical practitioner. It might have been Dr. Winston or it might have been someone else, but I think somebody had already started treating Bob medically on the heels of what had been a really brief psychotic episode that he endured from his prescription of the medication Concerta. So when I saw him, he was um, just coming out of that. He had just gotten a little bit stabilized. He was still very confused. He was still highly anxious, agitated. He was in the midst of a lot of upheaval in his workplace and his family. So I picked up the, the path with him pretty early on. I mean, I, I probably missed the first you know, few phase of it, but it was still going on when we first saw him. So how did this all come about, Bob? I mean, you, you were having, you were anxious at the time at work. Tell us the story, how you, how you were given this perspective. Yeah. Yeah, um, basically, I was one of the top performers at a company called WorldCom at the time, and they were going through a major restructuring, uh, kind of the same year as far as Enron. Uh, again, I was the, one of the top performers, but I've been going through a series of just some chronic back pain. And, uh, you know, I reached out to my 
my general practitioner that I've known for five years and almost almost kind of a personal friend uh, who was treating me for that back pain. Um, went in to see him about back, the, the back pain. He gave me some muscle relaxers. And as I was leaving that appointment, he said, is there anything else they could do for me? And it was the start of 2004. And I was just, just having a hard time focusing at work. I found out later it was probably due to the chronic back pain that I was experiencing. And when I was describing those symptoms to him, he, he said to me, that, you know what, Bob, that could be AD, ADD or ADHD. And he, he said, um, you know, why don't we try you on some, uh, you know, you know, ADHD medicine? And, um, uh, you know, I, I didn't think twice about it. Uh, he, 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 look, he looked at me and said, how much do you weigh? And um, I, I gave him my weight. And then he gave me a prescription for Concerta. And uh, he, gave me, uh, he gave me Concerta at 54 milligrams. I took the medication for five days. And just as I've always taken prescriptions from him in the past. After the fifth day, I was sitting in my office and um, I was just overwhelmed with the feelings that somebody was after me, somebody was going to hurt me and I had to get out of my office as soon as possible. I had to get out of the building as soon as possible. And um, I, I, I grabbed my overcoat, went, got on the elevator, got, got out of the building, and I went through those revolving doors, and then I stopped and turned around, and I looked around, and I was just like, what, what's going on? Why did I just do that? Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, I was slipping, I found out later, I was slipping in and out of consciousness. And I was pretty much having an out-of-body experience right there. All right, so you, so you had a reaction to this drug. Let me ask you something. Was it the, I mean, and Mark, you can answer this. Is, is this the level of the amount was right or wrong in terms of the, the, um, the prescription? The amount was definitely more interesting uh, if you look at most of the protocols for psychostimulant medications concerned in particular, the dosing, starting dose that's recommended is 18 milligrams. And Bob was prescribed 54 milligrams right from the get-go as a starting dose, which was three times the recommended dose. Does so, it say this in the black box? Is, I mean, the, the instructions there? Was this just a stupid doctor? or? or well, well, I'm I'm not sure why he prescribed as much as he did, other than that he must not have been well versed enough about the protocols for that medication, that he maybe thought, well, I'll just give him 54 milligrams, and maybe that'll be enough based on you know, asking questions like body weight and things like that, body mass. But in fact, body mass doesn't seem to have very much to do with it. It really has to do with levels of symptoms and tolerance of the person for that particular medication. So. You start with as low a dose as possible, which is a general rule for psychotropics, whether they're, you know, uh, psychostimulants, antidepressants, anxiety medications. You start low, and then you adjust it up based on the response. And he did not do that at all. And of course, the other main issue was he didn't do any, or recommend any pre-screening for Bob to even determine if, in fact, he had ADHD. Because normally the protocol there is if a primary care physician or a pediatrician suspects it, then they get referred to a person like myself, a clinical psychologist who does very detailed testing, interviewing, history taking, because it does run in families a lot. 
And then if that evidence supports the presence of ADHD, then the physician picks it back up. Sometimes it's the pediatrician, sometimes a psychiatrist, and then they start treating it. But it first has to be ruled in or ruled out in a, in a, you know, in a scientific way. And that was not done with Bob. All right, so let's just, so this conversation is about SSRIs, which is uh, antidepressants and anti-anxiety. Right. And Bob, but you but you had back pain, but you're saying that the doctor was saying because you expressing some confusion at work that he decided to give this to you. But was this guy a psychiatrist? The doctor uh, you went to, was he a psychiatrist? He 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 he. he, he, he. He advertises that he, he has a psychiatry background, but he's a, he's a general practitioner here in town. Okay, so so Mark, in your profession, do you, did general physicians give out psychotropic drugs? Occasionally they do, but it's usually in a very conservative, measured way. It's usually after conferring with therapists or psychologists who are also treating the patient. They will do things with SSRIs. They're much more cautious with things like psychostimulants, like Concerta. You know, they're normally very loath to do that unless there's documented evidence that the disorder is there and that the disorder is there in enough of a presence to warrant medication. All right. So this happened 20 years ago. And Bob, you, your life started to unravel, all right? Um, you got divorced. You had a hard time with your kids. Your wife didn't understand. You didn't understand what you were going through. Has the doc? What happened when you went back to your doctor and told him that you know things were going on here? Well, immediately, you know, two weeks after going through this, I went back to him and um, I said something terribly went wrong with the drug, and he told me it wasn't the drug. And that now I had severe depression, and he started me on he started me on anti uh, depression medication. After and you had this episode, <laughs> exactly. We couldn't even identify there was an episode, uh, and I don't think he wanted to identify the, that an episode had taken place. And what happened after? You, did you take Did you take the other prescription at the time? Oh yeah. At this time, I was spinning out of control. I mean, it was it was almost like an airplane that had had no pilot, and um, um, uh, it was it was it was very uh, it was a very desire mo um, uh, despair moment in my life. I mean, it was uh, I, I wasn't sleeping. I lost a tremendous amount of weight. I had um, neurological tics going all over my body, and. Uh, coming from somebody that never had really any medical problems in the past this was just you know what was going on in my life and i was convinced that it was it was the the concern of medication and and uh, that's when you know unbeknownst to my doctor i rode off to johnson and johnson and told them that i had an event what did johnson and johnson do uh, the woman on the other line, I called their 800 number, was kind of shocked and didn't know what, what was going on. And, and she put me on hold for a while, then came back and um, asked for my address and said, we're going to have to send you out some forms. So about two weeks later, I received some forms. 
And then what happened? Uh, we, we filled out those forms, uh, sent it in. And by this time, um, I was spinning so out of control. I, I stopped seeing my, I stopped seeing my uh, doctor at the time. And uh, I, I turned everything over to a psychiatrist that I had known in my past, a very good, uh, a very good guy. And, that, and then that led you to becoming a patient of Mark's? Uh, through, the, through, through the psychiatrist, uh, working with him, uh, who, he, who did an unbelievable job. Um, he, he, he started backing me off, tapering me off all these drugs. My line to him was, hey, th these drugs got me into this. God's going to get me out of it. So I decided to go more holistic approach. Mark, how often do you see this in your practice? I mean, is this is this is this like the dirty secret that that psychiatrists know about and, and nobody's addressing it? Because you know, and I understand that farmers, the pharmaceutical industry, you know, has its limitations on morality um, because they they're they're in it for the profit. Um, you know, the Sackler family in Purdue is certainly something that people understand that it was it was the Purdue. When people walk into an ER and they see you know, doctors ask you if you're in pain, you know, mm -hmm. one to ten, that chart was created by Sacklers as a, as a marketing tool to push oxycontin. I get that. But I mean, you know, people have reactions. There's mass shootings. Kelly O'Mara, who, who's a good friend, who's a writer and a reporter, for years wrote a, a book about uh, SSRIs years ago. And what she found when she was investigating, the mass shooting is that many of these kids, these mass shooters were on some type of psychotropic drug. And sometimes it was mixed with other drugs. And so she used to call it a cocktail. And, and so that, that's going back, you know, maybe 30 years. Yeah. Today, you know, it just seems to me, why aren't the psychiatrists speaking up about this? If, if there's a connection here between, you know, somebody having a breakdown and, um, and a drug. Yeah, I, I, it's a good point, Christine. I, I, you know, I don't know if it's just a concern about liability or it's just an inadequate preparation about psychotropics. You know, I've noticed with working with primary care physicians and pediatricians that the range of knowledge that they have about psychotropics and some of the dangers, um, some of the choices that should be made, some of the ones that should be avoided is vast. In other words, some of them seem, you know, pretty up on it and, and maybe they're safer practitioners to even prescribe it in the right situation. And I see others that have very little working knowledge of that. So I think part of it is gaps and discrepancies in the level of training and education and self-education that they've undergone to that point. But, you know, to your original question, when you asked, have I seen this before? I have seen it. I was uh, discussing this with Bob the other day that I did have a case where somebody else had gotten poisoned, so to speak, by a psychotropic drug, but that was due to pharmacist, pharmacist error, not by the error of the physician. In other words, the physician had prescribed what would have been a normal starting dose for that particular medication, which was a non-psychiatric medication, it was which is used for infections and fungus and things like that. And the pharmacist, unfortunately, read Lamisil as Lamictal, which Lamictal is a mood stabilizer used to treat bipolar disorder. So basically this guy got a pretty high dose of Lamictal. The dosing level for the Lamisil was what was transferred over from the Lamictal. He ended up having a very similar 
brief psychotic episode that Bob went, underwent, very, very similar. He was hospitalized. But a month later, after being backed off the medication, like Bob was, he was fine, and he didn't sustain any long-term neurocognitive damage like Bob has. So it's pretty rare. I mean, that's the only occasion I can see other than occasionally somebody will have an outlier reaction to a prescribed medication, even if it's prescribed properly. In other words, a low starting dose under a lot of supervision, you never can account for everybody's individual neurochemistry. So that can happen. Honestly, you know, that can happen with some medications. I and mean, usually the doctor pulls them right off of it and chooses an alternative or the patient decides to go with that medication. So it, it, it does happen, um, but, but I don't know. The real reason why doctors avoid this is still unknown to me at this point. Well, first of all, if you're supposed to start somebody off at 18 milligrams as opposed to 54. Right. I mean, it, it certainly seems that that you would. I mean, I would. I would think maybe not. Uh, in this case, it didn't happen. I would think that when Bob went back to his doctor at the time, that he would in fact have done something to rectify the situation. But Bob, in your case, your 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 physician didn't want to hear that there was a connection. From what I understand, this is true. Uh, yeah. Yes, that's. That's basically what 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 took place here, and you know how that how I brought that to his attention was um, almost a year after my my psychosis. Um, the Wall Street Journal came out with an article that said the drug Concerta was uh, was uh, being being investigated by uh, congressional hearings in regards to danger as far as psychosis, violence, and uh, a number of different um, side, side effect reactions that were happening to patients. So when I, you know, uh, I, brought that, I brought that article to my doctor and showed that to him. We sat down and I showed that to him. And I said, um, I think this, I, you know, as I told you before, this, this was a very dangerous drug. He didn't say a word to me. He just stood up, walked away, and I thought this this was bizarre. And um, you know, the meeting the meeting ended, and uh, the next day he called me by phone and said, uh, "Come pick up your file. You're no longer my patient, and if you make trouble for me, I will sue you for slander." All right, so so this this guy's a real maggot. Um, so he he got scared, he got intimidated. There was a congressional hearing at the same time. My question is, I wonder if today, and I'll say his name because I'm not afraid of him, Dr. Wheeler of Atlanta is still handing out concerted. His concert is still on the market. It is, Mark. It is. Yes, it so is. it's still being used. It well, is. Does anybody know the outcome of that congressional hearing uh, about concerted? Did they conclude? Did they adjust the the um, the instructions or change anything when this was going on, Bob? Did yeah, you, yeah, not black, black box warning. Black they, box. They did put a black box warning. Yeah. As a result of that congressional hearing. Correct. Correct. All right. So so you've never been. There's been no accountability by the doctor. It sounds, Bob. It, there's been no apology. He certainly didn't take care of you afterwards. He fired you as a patient. Um, I think that that's very telling that when you brought 
the congressional hearing evidence, the Wall Street Journal article to the doctor at the time that he basically decided to, to fire you. I, to I, I mean, to ab abandon me. Abandon you. Yeah, basically abandon you. All right, we're going to take a break, guys, and then, and then I want to come back because I want to get into the public policy part of this. We're just going to take a break right now. We'll be back in a second. Our world is changing rapidly. Many crucial systems we depend upon are collapsing. And the most important system that is failing is the food supply. Mr. President, this council is more than aware of the multiple challenges and threats the world is facing today. But the threat of famine, people starving slowly to death, must be a red line. Now, these food prices are going to keep going up and up, and they're going to keep feeding excuse after excuse, narrative after narrative. Yeah, where so you're going to have to get off that treadmill and start getting more autonomous with your own food growing. You want to make sure that you can eat, because frankly, food is the biggest issue as we are going through these transitions. But amidst the chaos, there is a path to resilience. Marjorie Wildcraft is the female leader of the survival and preparedness movement. Marjorie has taught millions of people how to grow an abundance of food in a grid-down situation even if you have no experience, are older, or out of shape. I've spent decades finding the fastest, easiest, and funnest ways for the average person to be able to grow a lot of food. I've created a step-by-step -step process that's so simple that even kids to elders have been using it in order to grow a lot of their own food. And you can too, even if you have no experience, you're older or you're out of shape. Growing your own food is like printing your own money. Get started today. Okay, we're back with Bob Schwartz and Dr. Mark. Um, we're talking about an episode, Bob, that you had almost 20 years ago. Mark, you stepped in and you've seen this. Now, as I recollect, Concerta was the drug that the Parkland shooter was on too, correct? I believe that's correct. Okay, and, and so how often do we see psychiatrists stepping up to the plate during a mass shooting and saying, hey, this may have something to do with the behavior of the mass shooter? Do psychiatrists do that? Or, and if not, why not? Yeah, I'm not aware of, of that phenomenon happening where they're stepping up, you know, post-incident and saying, gee, this might have been a, a correlate of what happened, or this might have been a factor in what happened. Again, I think it has to do with, with liability and, and with avoiding controversy and, and, you know, taking care of themselves, just covering themselves. We're not even thinking it through to that level. Christine, I might be able to answer that one yeah. a little bit better from, from, from the research that, that we've done. Basically, uh, you know, when when mass shootings happen, as you can see, they, you know, they, they they set up, you know, the law enforcement steps in and they they set up uh, press conferences and um, they're being consulted by behavioral health specialists in regards to, you know, uh, educating the law enforcement on what to take next. And because of HIPAA, HIPAA laws, um, uh, they're, they're the, the psychiatrist and the psychiatric uh, drug history of the, the mass shooters are being protected. No, but they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. I mean, if a drug is causing somebody to be a nutcase who goes out there and starts shooting people, it should be a, I mean, that, I don't know, does HIPAA does HIP continue after you die? Yeah, I don't even know. There, there's, 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 a, there's a great case out there from, um, from the Adam Lanza 
uh, shooting up at Sandy Hook, where they did try to get the uh, uh, Sheila Matthews, who who's a, a top subject matter expert in regards to this subject, mass shootings. Um, she she tried to FOIA the the 2013 uh, back in 2013 for um, Adam Lanza's uh, medical records or psychiatric drug history, and uh, it eventually came back that. Um, that they could not release that information because too many people on these prescription drugs um, might stop taking these drugs or they might stop seeing their physicians. And they, they made the decision that uh, Adam, uh, Adam Lanza's heinous act should not be a criteria uh, for you know releasing this kind of information. That's insanity. That's insanity. That, that that's covering up for pharmaceuticals. I mean, you know, these are that, that's their lawyer. That's the, that's probably their lawyer's best argument that they can put forward to protect it, to keep the to keep the drug going, and keep the patients addicted to it. Well, Christine, um, what Christine, what they're measuring? If you sit back and think about it, what they're measuring is that they're, they're 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 basically saying there's there's more of a greater public safety issue of people coming off of their meds and going through a withdrawal or you know going through some kind of psychotic episode or something coming off of these meds than than versus mass shootings and i think that's that's the quagmire the country's in it may not be mass shootings it may be that a lot of people i mean my understanding for a lot of these drugs and, and dr mark tell me if i'm wrong about this that you have to be if you're going to even change from one antipsychotic drug or antidepressant or anti-anxiety drug to another, you have to be weaned off of the first one. Yes, that's correct. You have to be stepped down, and sometimes the new medication is layered on it. As the first medication drops down, they'll start layering on the next one, or sometimes they'll even leave a gap, but it's never just an abrupt right turn, you know, 90 degrees one into another, because there's just too many dangers associated with that. So that's not good medicine to do it that so what are the side effects of these my understanding and andrew tebow has done some great research he did four years with fdas and he's found that you know that these drugs do have side effects they increase um anger they can in, they can even result in some horrific you know murder or suicides why are these drugs here's a question i have dr mark why are these drugs on the on, on in the market well, I think the reason they're on the market is because they came along at a time when I think psychiatry was at a loss about what to do with things like ADHD, for example, where when Ritalin first came along, it was the first thing that worked. And everybody jumped on the bandwagon. There was a lot of overprescription. But, but, but Ritalin didn't work because when little boys would get to puberty, they wouldn't have erections. And now we have a Viagra. I mean, yeah. you know, th yeah. this is a cycle of creating something and then creating something else to handle what we've created. Yeah, from that standpoint, you're correct. They, they worked in terms of su suppressing the ADHD symptoms, but the, all the spotlight went on that success rather than the corollaries of what followed from there, you know, some of the other complications that came later, like you just referenced. So I think, and then of course, parents, teachers, everybody was thrilled that Johnny became more manageable in the classroom. He was focusing somewhat better. He was getting his work done quicker. So there's no question that a lot of them work well in managing those particular symptoms of ADHD. There's no doubt about that. But the problem is what else happens? 
and the fact that parents uh, and doctors sometimes don't give adequate warnings in their discussions and prescribing of these drugs as to what might happen, even if they do start with a low dose. They're not, being, they're not preparing their patients out. Well, this is this is frightening because then then if you turn to the you know the latest phase of pharma is you know pushing this um, gender dysphoria and pushing kids for the puberty blockers, do these do these people do any long term studies or or to figure out what could possibly happen? I mean, I remember when when we as journalists found out about the, what was happening to the little boys up in Ritalin for a long period of time. And this was especially for the boys that were put on Ritalin when pre-pre-group. So they were eight years of age on Ritalin. And then again, they they didn't have erections when they got to, when they got to puberty. So I mean, why are we drugging kids and, and screwing up their sex lives? Because that's what's happening with the, the, the puberty blockers that they want to put kids on for trans. Why do we do this? Well, you know, Christine, I, I, my theory about it is that we've become such a society of getting immediate results. You know, the attention span of the nap, the next news cycle coming up immediately. We want to see immediate results. Parents want to see immediate results. Teachers want their lives to be easier or made easier by some of these medications. So that that furor of wanting results and seeing results blinds everybody seemingly to what else may be happening or what are the longitudinal effects. And to your point about the research, I think some people are doing research about it. I'm not, I haven't um, read a lot about this. This is something that psychiatrists probably would not really mind. But there are, there are research studies being done to look longitudinally at these things. But they're really kind of behind the curtain. You know, people don't talk about it. They're not made public. They're not, um, they're not exposed enough for people to be aware of it. So typically speaking, a doctor might say, you know, a parent might say, well, what can I expect from concerto what can I expect from Adderall and doctors say well you know your child might lose a little bit of appetite you know, they, you know there's a range of things that could happen they might give them a pamphlet and say these are some things that could happen and maybe in their own experience they haven't had patients necessarily had really adverse reactions and maybe in some other doctor's experience they might have encountered that so a lot of it depends on the doctor's own experience you know the longer they practice the more they might run into some of these outlier reactions and side effects in somebody who's new to the practice. So there's wow. a lot of things, yeah. Wow. Bob, okay, so Bob, what you're trying to do now, because you've lived through this nightmare, okay, and it's been very rough and, and on you, and thank you for being the advocate that you are. What is it you want people to know? Uh, yeah, again, Christine, I, I got to the point where I think, think about the think about the course. I got fired by my doctor. Um, I, I, I have Johnson and Johnson that sent me an event form and we filled everything out. And um, they, we, we circled back with them 14 years later, because you got to understand that when, when you're going through this, you're living in silence, stigma and shame. And, and, and uh, you know, I went, had a number of years where I went through numbers of jobs where, you know, I just couldn't function at the level that I was functioning at before. And we found out later that when we eventually wrote Johnson & Johnson back in 2018, what was the evaluation and the investigation that you came out from, from the event, from the event forms that we sent back in, which 
asked them, it asked them that the doctor send in the medical records. We found out that Johnson and Johnson asked the doctor three times to send in the medical records, and he never sent he never sent any medical records in. So it not not only did he abandon me, he abandoned he abandoned an investigation that was supposed to happen to hopefully you know save me and save my family at the time. Um, I, I reported him to the Georgia Medical Board where they they did an extensive investigation in fact the investigator was the first to alert me that i was medically overdosed and that um uh you know that that he wasn't coming in to talk to anybody at the at the medical board and that was the last i heard from the medical board until they sent me a letter and said that that he had broken he had broken no laws no georgia laws which was clearly wrong and that this matter was closed i've tried three times opening back up the investigation with new information that i've had and the the general i mean the georgia medical board refuses to open up the case i went to the fda four times i filed a MedWatch report which is supposed to be the highest form of investigation in one form i sent an email that that was entitled concert a whistleblower and nobody nobody got back in touch with me i reached out to two senators at the time johnny isaacson who was the georgia senator um and 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 they said they sent a letter off to the fda nothing happened and then i reached out to chuck senator chuck grassley and i talked to one of his staffers and i asked for a sit-down meeting and i only got one word back from him and then I never heard back from him again. And that one word was received. And, um, and, and, and so when I got to the point where conventionally trying to trying to, again, get truth, um, transparency and trust in regards to what happened to me, I said, uh, I said, I'm going unconventional. And uh, um, I, I, I did a documentary movie, which won a telly award out in New York. And ever since doing that documentary movie and putting up a website, which is www.riskrxisks.com, um, stories have been coming in left and right. It's been uh, probably one of the one of the best advocate um, or redemption um, stories that I've been able to do in my life, and I'm just glad I'm moving forward helping other people that because i don't want to see anybody go through this unspeakable hardship or tragedies uh something that i went through extraordinary it's an extraordinary story bob but unfortunately you know the website has proven now that you're not alone that this that people do have adverse effects to these drugs and then you know you, you have to wonder what is going on in our society that we just keep on pushing people to take prescriptions. I mean, is there, when, Mark, when you look back in the 30 years that you've been practicing, mm -hmm. have you seen an increase in pushing for drugs? Or is there, is there any leveling off? Or is it just drugs are the only answer if somebody, you know, feels bad? Because, I mean, I remember one of my family members when my mother was sick. Um, was She was very upset. She went into, I mean, she, we were all upset. She went in to have her neck fused because she had arthritis and she ended up because of a medical screw up 
having to have her lower left leg amputated because of the anesthesia. And that was horrible. And one of our family members went to see a shrink because of the anger and the, of the malpractice of it and, and, and went on prescription drugs. And, and I remember at the time seeing, you know, one of my siblings' personalities change from the most charming human being to somebody who was angry. And, and, and I understood the anger um, because of what happened to our mother. But at the same time, he had to be weaned off those drugs because it affected his memory. And, and I'm thinking to myself, why do we do this? Because, you know, if, if we're upset, it's okay to be upset and embrace it. Life has its challenges and ups and downs, but why do we medicate people? Yeah. Well, you know, I, this seems to be a distinctly American kind of phenomenon. It's not yes. The, right? It's not the psychotropics are not used in other parts of the world. Uh, my wife is from Europe, and she tells me that uh, growing up there, she's from Germany, that this was a very rare thing. It's still a relatively rare thing. In fact, her brother, who's now deceased, there, there's a disorder that runs through their family. Many of them are bipolar. And he was never really diagnosed adequately for it and was got into alcoholism. And finally, I consulted on the case because I got concerned and I got to talk to the doctors over there. And they eventually did treat him for bipolar with a medication that is useful for bipolar, but they did it properly and it stabilized him. But the orientation in Europe is so anti-medication that most people there are used to normalizing the experience of unhappiness or sadness or as we right. call it, depression. Whereas over here, with everything from physical disorders to mental disorders, we're told no matter what comes up, we've got an answer for it right away and you don't have to suffer. So I think there's a cultural thing and I think that naturalistic medicine was prevalent in America up until some of the big industrialists got involved in it and they were the ones that have really corrupted it to begin with and sort of were the breeding ground for big pharma to become what it has. So this is going back, you know, almost 100 years. But to answer your question about, you know, do I see more of it being prescribed? I think I see more different medications are being prescribed because there's so many more of them now. And I think the public has gotten so used to them being around that they've gotten desensitized to the idea of using them. You know, in the past, I remember there was a lot more questions brought up by patients and parents of patients about, you know, giving their kids medications. Now, because they've been so prescribed frequently, their neighbors might be on it and they might hear a story from their neighbor that, gee, my kid was put on Adderall and now we can pay attention and then they're just willing to do it. It was a lot more caution, Christine, in the past about using things like this. That has changed. Okay. So that's the difference. So, Bob, that's an angle that you need to pursue in your advocacy work is letting Americans know that this is not happening in Europe. So if it's not happening in Europe and it's happening here and we have adverse effects, and they don't have adverse effects in Europe because they're not taking these crazy drugs, maybe that'll wake up Americans to realize we don't need to put everybody on almost. I mean, when I heard the figure that 75% of Americans take a prescription drug, my jaw dropped. My jaw dropped, okay? That means kids and adults. It's not just, that wasn't just adults. That, that's kids and adults. I mean, we have an over, we have a pharmaceutically addicted country. And that needs to be explained to people in comparison to other parts of the world. I mean, we should, we should be telling people that they need to get out and play softball. 
you know, or buy a trampoline and jump all day or something like that. I mean, exercise to get the, you know, to get the sleep because this is crazy what we're doing in this country. Tristan, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, if you if you if you think think about it, I mean, diet, exercise, sleep, um, and then when when it comes to you know, think about the, the ADHD medication. You know what? This is somebody you know, kids that aren't focusing well or getting like a C in a class, and they, you know, you have some parents that want them to get an A, and and instead of you know letting that child go through adversity and trying to you know overcome you know, you know, these, these, these setbacks, they, they, they choose medication. Same thing with anti-anxiety medication. You know, every, everybody's gets nervous out there. Everybody, everybody has anxiety. That's where you learn coping skills. Right. And if, if somebody dies, you, you don't, you don't go to an anti-depression, you know, grief, grief strikes everybody. And we, you gotta, you gotta learn holistic grieving skills. And um, I think this that's the, the message America's missing here. Well, guys, I, listen, I can't tell you how thrilled I am that you shared your story, Bob, and, and Mark, that you stayed with Bob going through this. Um, because, you know, being abandoned by your own doctor when he screws up and overprescribes something, and then he doesn't take responsibility, <clears throat> and he doesn't turn over your records to J&J, which is extraordinary. I mean, maybe there will be some light at the end of the tunnel here, Bob, maybe maybe somebody will step up to the plate finally and do something about this this doctor because the fact that he's still prescribing drugs um, to me is a little bit scary. So I just yeah. want to say thank you very much for sharing your story and and Dr. Mark, thank you for for you know staying with Bob because this has been quite an episode and I know that he's really doing his best to advocate to do something about the situation. And I, if I can add, I think that doing this process with Bob has been one of the most therapeutic elements of, of all, you know, even beyond the treatment that he received from me and from Dr. Winston getting him stabilized and from his, uh, his faith. He's a, he's a strong Catholic and he draws upon his faith a lot. But I think this has been a very therapeutic crusade. And, it's, uh, and I'm, I'm delighted to see what it's done for him. Well, and Bob, we're going we're gonna to we're gonna stay with you and, and lean on you to help us with our Reform Pharma campaign. Thank you. Thank you.